So we have a lot of FOMO at our restaurant. So we have a lot of people who have like, they've missed one or two menus. So like it's you know, the amount of questions we get asked, like when are we doing a best of? It's like, yeah, no, it's definitely got to be done. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Australia's culinary landscape is a melting pot of the world and its gastronomic offerings. As such, contemporary Australian food is influenced by an array of global culinary techniques and ingredients. But there is one operator that likes to celebrate the world of food in a very unique fashion. Charlie Carrington is the chef and owner of Atlas Dining in Melbourne. Charlie, how are you? Very well, thank you. Thanks very much for having me. It's great to get you on the show. Uh, you're doing something pretty different down there in Melbourne, but how are things tracking now after the crazy sort of couple of years we've had? Um, actually, very good, to be honest. Yeah, we've been, um, you know, like it's COVID and stuff was amazing for us, but at the same time, it's been, you know, really good getting sort of back into it all and, um, you know, having everything sort of back to normal. Yeah, is there, is there a sort of renewed vibrancy in the dining scene there now and especially leading into the sort of warmer climates that we're heading towards? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I've noticed, um, yeah, people are more happy than ever sort of to be out and, you know, which is no surprise. Um, but yes. You have a unique approach to Atlas Dining and what you do there. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So our whole concept of Atlas is we change our cuisine every three months. So big part of my life is, you know, travel and food. And, um, you know, I did this amazing trip when I was a lot younger that really got me inspired to sort of, you know, work around the world and learn and all those sorts of things. So, um, you know, I came up with this concept to really keep that going. So, um, yeah, every three months, literally go somewhere overseas, have like a bit of a fun experience and then obviously come back and make a menu based on that. So when we do um, the menus, like obviously very loosely, based on the cuisine so like we're about to launch our Greece menu so it's like you know it's really my interpretation of what I think you know those flavors and you know the techniques and the dishes I love are without trying to be too authentic. What's the challenges with this kind of approach where you're sort of changing everything you're doing every sort of couple of months and delving into a new cuisine what's, what's the sort of challenges that you face doing that? Look it's very um, you know there's a lot of challenges like doing it I think as you know obviously by the time, you know, you get this amazing menu and these amazing dishes sort of almost perfected and then you flip it all on its head again. So I think that's a big, big challenge in itself. Um, and, like, from a business point of view, it doesn't, you know, it's obviously a lot of work. Like, you know, there's a there's a reason chefs, like, love to have, a, you know, a signature dish or something that, you know, people come back for time and time again. And I think that you do definitely get efficiencies from doing it that way. But um, at the same time, I'm pretty, uh, you know, it keeps it really interesting for us as well. And, like, I think the reason that we've been so successful is our, you know, customer base just love the fact that they can come and have a, you know, similar standard experience. But, you know, the food and the menu is something they haven't tried necessarily before. Have you found it difficult to let go of certain cuisines and move into the next? Like when you're sort of, you know, at that cusp of changing, is it difficult? Absolutely. And there's like, I think like we're always keen to change the menu. Like we do love that, that sort of part of it. Like there is a lot of development. I think that's the most exciting part of the sort of job. But at the same time, I do think there's definitely been dishes that I'm like sad to see go. Like I know that there's been some real smash hits that people have just loved. And you're like, you're like, oh, I wish I could keep that on because you just know, you know, like obviously when you create a menu like this, 
like particularly because we do a five-course menu, like there's always one or two dishes that, you know, seem to always be the like crowd favourites and there's a few that we've really loved making as well. And it's like, you know, when you have to get rid of the, you know, what sort of is your best work, it is a bit annoying. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the process that you go through, you know, in honouring a cuisine. What's the research that you do and, you know, how do you land on certain dishes? Is there one of the cuisines that you could use an exa- as an example? Um, yeah, definitely. Like, so, you know, what, which one would I choose? <laughs> I think we've done, we've done 19, 19 cuisines now. Look, yeah, I think one of, you know, one of the main things as well, like with the, with the menu, say like, um, I've got an amazing Indian chef who works at Atlas Dining and when we did the Indian menu, like being able to like obviously lean on his knowledge and heritage to sort of create the menu, but, you know, really using sort of like seeing it through my, you know, vision. So I think that like, you know, if we did Indian in from his vision, it would be very different. It'd be probably a lot more authentic. It would be, you know, all those sorts of things where like, I, you know, when I went over there, I was like, this is what I love. This is what I saw. This is all the things I wanted to create. And then like I sort of created the menu and the, you know, the idea of it. And then he was able to really like, you know, just help add that extra, the bit that sort of makes it really amazing, which I thought was really cool. And like we learned heaps from, you know that like for example like just the way that he was like toasting spices in a certain order like things that we just wouldn't know by not growing up eating that food all the time and like even recently we had a um <coughs> we did our taiwan menu and one of my um previous chefs came back and helped us for the sort of first few days with that and like once again like came in his taiwanese and he just gave this amazing like you know like just that extra touch to it that made it like that little bit more authentic and i think you know once again in the kitchen we all learned a lot from that well i want to explore what you're doing in greater detail shortly but take us to when you were young where, where did you grow up and what sort of role did food play for you um so i grew up in brighton in melbourne and um yeah food was always definitely something i was interested in but i didn't actually um i didn't actually finish school so i did leave school i think at age just under 16 or almost 16 um so the end of year 10 and i just yeah went straight into my apprenticeship and that sort of um you know i was working at stokehouse downstairs and i think that really was like you know once you've sort of gone all in by leaving school i think that was really the (laughs) the point where i was like this is i already knew that's what i wanted to do but like making that step was a really was a great step to do what was it about um, chefing that sort of caught your attention? Um, so the thing about like chefing, I think, you know, because I'm only 29 now, so I think that when I was, um, you know, when I was, say, yeah, 14, 15, it was probably, you know, at the time when there's, you know, there's some food TV was on. So, for example, things like MasterChef were probably starting or had just started or around that time. Then we had, like, you know, Gordon Ramsay with his different TV shows. Like, I think that, like, I was, as a young kid, like, you're really, like, mesmerised by, like, wow, what is this industry? You know, it's got some sort of, like, military-style you know, precision to it and hard work, but also, you know, at the end of the day, you're producing, you know, food and it's, you know, it's sort of fun and, you know, it's a different career as, you know, using your hands without sort of, you know, going into building or anything like that. So I just loved like the creativity of it. And I really loved the idea that it was like quite like not strict, but also like, you know, there's definitely like a system to follow and, you know, the, the kitchen brigade, how they all work together and all that sort of stuff. So that was really like the the inspiration. And then once I entered the kitchen, I think that like, you know, you see it like how it is. And it was like, wow, this is really cool. In in those sort of early years as you were starting to build your career, who were the really important people and venues that you worked at? 
So I worked at um, Viedemont. I did my apprenticeship there, so after Stokehouse. Um, so that was great. So I was 16 when I actually started at Viedemont. Um, that was a pretty pretty good experience, as you can imagine. Um, and that was under Chef Corey Campbell at the time, and he was, you know, really, really good in, you know, training me. And, like, I would have had zero, basically, skill. And, you know, for him to sort of take me on and let me – like, I would have been the first one there and the last to leave every day, but certainly would have been probably the one to make the most mistakes and <laughs> ruin everything. And, yeah, like, you know, looking um, – Looking back, it's pretty funny, actually. But um, And also a chef called Matt Abe, who's the um, head chef at restaurant Gordon Ramsay. He, um, I went over there and did a stage before I started at Butamon, and he was the chef that said, you know, when you go back to Melbourne, make sure you know go to the best place. And he'd worked there previously, so he's like, that's that's the place you need to go. And that was, you know, very you know, inspirational. Um, and then, yeah, besides that, like so in my, you know, other chefs in my career that I've worked for was like Lennox at Fyodor was a really – big inspiration so I um, worked there for about the first year they opened um you know invite or like look at how far they've come like you know at that time you know it was, it was a la carte it was very um you know still the same beautiful standard but it was definitely a little bit different to what it is now and like now you know look at the level they've gotten to yeah Lennox sort of really sort of changed some thinking about cooking in Australia and cooking over fire and that approach what did you take from your time there and what was he actually like to work with um well I've actually kept a very very close relationship with him ever since he's been like earlier this year we went to Abu Dhabi together to do like a cooking event and you know he was been pretty amazing like that considering you know I wasn't like there for that long um but one thing that I think really was good about working there is like as a chef in fine dining you you know you do a lot of things like induction cooking or sous vide or all these types of things that you know sort of high-end restaurants and then to sort of be thrown in the deep end of like particularly when it was a la carte like I remember some of the crazy services that we used to have and it would be like you know, just you might have, and he's very big on his seafood, so, you know, you might have eight to ten different types of fish or seafood and, you know, you're, like, running the service, cooking them all perfectly over coals, using different woods. Like, it was just a lot. You know, it's very different to, like, put this in a water bath at 56 degrees and wait an hour. Like, so I really love that. And, you know, so from that experience, like, at my restaurant, we have a wood fire oven. We don't have any gas. We cook over charcoal as well. Um, like, we don't probably go as hard as they do. So, like, we'll still use some inductions and certain things for, like, you know, boiling pots and, you know, cooking sauces and things like that. But, you know, that fire has been a big, like, a huge um, impact in what we do. And then the probably one difference that we have to them is, like, we have an American barbecue. We use that a lot for our for our menus like for basically every menu we'll always have something that's been through the smoker um where they they don't have like they don't do like offset smoking yeah it's much more like sort of direct grill cooking at the top of the show you mentioned a sort of a global trip that you went on that sort of inspired the idea of of atlas dining take take us on that trip are there a couple of destinations and food experiences that you had that really flicked the switch for you yeah, absolutely. So, like, <clears throat> basically, the trip started as like I want to just go traveling, and I was in um I was in Rio in Brazil, and I was probably about like one or two weeks into it, and I just felt a bit like oh, actually, you know, I'd love to do some stages and whatever. So, I actually booked basically the next six months of my time as stages, which was quite like a weird weird thing to do. So, <laughs> particularly when you're there to have like a holiday, 
But, um, but at the same time, it was just amazing. So I spent about um, a month in six different places. So, um, yeah, I went like I was in uh, Sao Paulo. I went to Bolivia, which had a restaurant called Gusto, which was just next level. That was a really, um, really, really cool experience. And, like, the chef there, she's Danish, and just some of the food she was doing and, um, like, it's all, you know, very, like, this is Bolivian ingredients, like stuff you've never seen or heard of before, like very Indigenous-style ingredients. It was really impressive. Um, then I went to Benue in San Francisco, which was great. I went to Quintanil in Mexico City, which was probably the one I enjoyed the most. Like Mexico City is just the most, you know, incredible city for someone who loves food. And, you know, just got, like particularly um, what was great is like hanging out with the chefs there. Like, you know, we used to always go out after service and like go and eat at some like random like taco stall and, you know, drink until like 2 a.m. or something like that. So, you know, then be back there at 8 a.m. But you know, that's what you can do when you're young. And then, um, yeah, then after that as well, I went to the Jane in Antwerp, which was just like such an amazing um, place to work. So like Nick Brill, who's the chef there, um, you know, he's like very like amazing chef, but like the kitchen energy there was super intense and like massive hours, like the the Europeans, like, you know, at the two, three Michelin star level, like those kitchens, how they operate is pretty, pretty serious. And I just love that you know, learning curve from that. I thought that was like, I just saw so many variations of like, you know, what, I don't know, like I just saw so many variations of kitchens, how they work and, you know, different levels from, you know, one Michelin star, two Michelin star, three Michelin star, even some more casual places as well. Like one of the places I went to was like a small like bakery where they specialize in tarts. So that was really cool. Like, yeah, it was just a great experience. And I just had like, I think the most, the best thing about it and the thing I like think about the most was um, just all the chefs that I met like along the way, like as in like the chef to parties or the commie chefs who were on the sections, like, you know, you, they would like love that you're interested. So they would then go and show you, you know, take you out. They would go and, you know, talk to you about like the city. They'd give you a million tips on where to go. And like, you know, fortunately I got to go to like some of their staff parties and all this stuff that was just like, you know, experiences you'd never have if you weren't sort of just going and being part of the team. How different were you when you sort of arrived back in Australia after this epic journey? Oh, I just had, I just think I just had like a, you know, like you could travel forever. And I think that for me was like the, the eye-opener. And that's sort of how the whole concept of Atlas came apart. Sorry, came around because I was just like, well, I had like, I enjoyed that experience so much of like constantly learning, you know, being around food, like meeting different people. And then I just sort of created that into the concept that is Atlas Tiny. Well, tell us about getting that up off the ground. Um, how did how did you find a site, and what was it like getting it up and running? Yes, yeah, so very tough actually. So the first, I was actually trying to do it in Sydney originally. So when I was working at Firedor, I would like um, I was looking for sites and stuff, you know, around that sort of area, and like it was just probably a slightly too expensive slash. Big investment slash, yeah, I like how you laugh at that one. So you know, you know exactly what I mean by that when I say slightly too expensive. But yeah, um, Sydney, yeah. So Sydney's like obviously, you know, it's a it's a pinnacle um, for a lot of you know a lot of um, like you know I was up in Sydney recently and I just say Melbourne's awesome, but Sydney definitely has like a, another level of like you know like there's a lot going on. It's you know it's busy. There's you know it's obviously much probably bigger tourist um, you know tourism. Uh, sector those sorts of things 
So I had a go in Sydney and then it just wasn't working. So I was like, well, I'll move back to Melbourne and have a look there. And then four days later, I actually found the site. Um, that it was yeah, just like on one of those real estate websites. Um, found the web, uh, sorry, found the site, and I was like, let's go have a look. And it was pretty disheveled, like the building. It was um, used to be an Indian burger restaurant, and they just um, they had yeah, it was like it was called Get That India, so which was pretty weird. Yeah, and like the kitchen and like yeah, the place was pretty bad. Like, um, but yeah, it was like you know, I was fortunate. My, my brother and um, another another one of his friends um, were happy to like help me at the start to get you know get it all up and running. So, you know, took over the lease and then sort of built the built the building, and you know, I'm really glad that you know i did it properly like you know got the right you know design done and you know really like invested in like the kitchen like we haven't really had to change anything in the seven years we've been there so that's been a really like that's been a good like learning curve i think is like doing things properly um and then yeah so we it took about four months to build and then in september september 4th 2016 is um is when we opened and then so when we opened it was like you know, you had this quite a crazy concept. There was a lot of like probably chatter of people going, you know, what is this? You know, it's very, you know, hadn't really been done before. So I feel like people were like, you know, there's definitely a few people in the industry who were a bit like, you know, oh, really? Like, it's a bit weird, but that's okay. Um, you're always going to have that. And then basically, um, yeah, so we opened. And at the start, like particularly the first week or two, like we were definitely um, not busy. Like it was like, you know, we might be doing 15 covers, 20 covers, something like that. But, um, you know, we were very fortunate um, that Jemima Cody, she came in and uh, did a review on us and we got a um, 15 out of 20, which, you know, gave us that chef's hat, which all, you know, which was the absolute ultimate goal slash dream. So that was, um, yeah, that was amazing. So it was about month one, so five or yeah, four, five, six weeks into us opening, we got that review. And that really just kicked it into gear. Like it was pretty, pretty crazy after that. And to be honest as well, like it was good probably being a little bit quieter at the start. Like, cause you know, you're just trying to work out like how to do everything essentially. And like, you know, this was a, it was a big step to go in and sort of do your own restaurant. Like I was 22 um, when we opened and yeah, it was pretty, pretty wild. What was it like for you trying to get a handle on running a business, managing people, creating a menu? What were the challenges? I think that like, oh, there's an unlimited amount of challenges. Like <laughs> there still is, but I think that like that sort of being a bit naive is actually probably the best thing. Like I actually think now that like, you know, with what I have like sort of done now and all this sort of thing, like if I was starting now, I actually reckon it would almost be harder because I, I know a lot more where like you know if i was starting the like out for the first time i mean like as you naturally as you get older you sort of learn a bit more you see everything where like there i was just like obviously a lot of passion very naive and like just almost a bit crazy enough to just have a crack and i think that's been there that was like the best thing ever because it means you just dive in head first where i think as you get older you probably have a bit more responsibility so you don't probably not as wild but um but yeah, like oh, all the challenges were like, you know, obviously hiring people for the first time, that was a, you know, huge challenge and like, you know, getting that team right, um, you know, dealing dealing with the guests as well, like, you know, making sure that, you know, we were like, yeah, basically making sure that we we're making sure all our guests were really happy. Um, also like just little things like even like, you know, costing your menus correctly, all these sorts of things because I was probably a bit like just freestyled it, um, <laughs> which worked, but I think that, 
you know, like I wouldn't, you probably wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to get away with that now. Let's put it that way. You mentioned that you've done 19 different cuisines yeah. now, different menus. What, what was the very first one? Uh, Vietnamese. Wow. Yeah. Do you remember, do you remember the menu? Can you take us through it? Yeah. So, um, so I remember a few of the dishes, like it, it's funny, we have guests who come in all the time. They're like, oh, we tried this menu and, um, you know, that, uh, this dish we loved and I'm just thinking, oh, I don't even remember that. <laughs> We've done so many dishes now. But um, so of the of the Vietnamese menu, the best dishes were we did this like um, it was like a Wagyu beef faux tartare. So it was like basically um, like we slightly grilled the beef, chopped it, made this amazing sort of like chili and garlic dressing, bit of fish sauce, lime juice. Um, and then we did like a really beautiful spice mix and this like egg jam with it. And it was just really like – had those faux flavors without like without being a fur like so that was really really love that um and then we just did this like um we did this like wood um, wood roasted cabbage that we sort of stuffed with um some oysters and a bit of egg and made almost like a custard inside the cabbage and that was with this like fish sauce butter that was really nice um and then like really simple dishes as well like we just did a um we did this sort of uh, it was like a king george whiting so the beautiful um fish there was just grilled like a fillet on it and we just served it with like pickled daikon and pickled carrot, which is Vietnamese mint oil. And it was like very basic, like, I mean, and that's, you know, the dish looked really sharp and looked really sort of, I don't know, in the style of the sort of the way we do our food. But I think that was like a really, for such a basic dish, it was a real smash hit. You know, we used to have people just love that because I think it was just so clean and simple. Has has there been a cuisine that you've dived into sort of over the, the couple of years that you've had the restaurant that sort of has really resonated and stood out for you? Yeah, def- definitely the American menu we did, like like I mentioned before. Like, and, oh, yeah, and, I, and I, when you say wow, well, that's like most people <laughs> will say that because everyone assumes American food. Like it's not the first place you think of when you think of great food. But like, you know, we did like um, – me and my partner, we went down to um, that sort of the southern states, like travelled through there by car. Um, you know, we went to like Louisiana, we went to um, yeah, Tennessee, Texas, all these places. And like it was just so amazing to like see all the different smokehouses, like, you know, all the like just incredible restaurants, like, you know, in New Orleans, like the yeah, fried, like fried chicken with like collard greens and, um, and grits. And, you know, when you see it done like super well, it was like, wow. And I love what I really loved about that menu is like that's the first menu where we've like gone and bought a piece of equipment, which was the um, obviously American barbecue and like learning to use that. Like we had the guys, um, this guy, Steve from Burn City Smokers in Melbourne. He like was so generous with his time and like, you know, sort of helped us learn how to do it because um, there is a bit of an art to smoking and like there's a reason there's like grill masters, <laughs> I'm sorry, pit masters and stuff exist because it's like it's not easy and um yeah, like that was just fantastic to learn something that's like so brand new. Like I never, ever thought I would be doing American barbecue. You, with this sort of worldly immersion that you've been undertaking, um, on reflection, how different a cook are you sort of in 2016 to what we see now? Oh, it's completely different. So like I think like one thing that happens to a lot of chefs over time is that like they like more and more simple food. I think that's just like a natural progression. Like when you're like young and green and like, you know, learning, you like, you love the idea of like, you know, just how crazy could, can you make something like as in like foams and gels and 20 components on a plate and like, you know, as much like more is more is more than, but like, you know, I think as you get like, 
sort of older and like you know you like eat out a lot more like you know I eat out all the time but like if I look at the places I eat now compared to where I used to I would just like I'm probably a lot more like of a simpler eater I love like the classics done like super well um and you know like particularly like when I'm overseas like I used to go to like super high-end restaurants where like you know I still definitely love to try that and I really appreciate like you know the, the skill and effort that goes into creating that type of cuisines i just feel like for me like you, you i really appreciate like simplicity more so and, and i think that reflects in our menu like you know even like with this greek menu like i like at atlas i was like i would obviously never serve chips when i say obviously but then but then for the greek menu i was like well what is the perfect side for, for like the lamb dish that we want to do i'm like well let's just do some like amazing you know hand cut chips that we're doing and like I just know that people will absolutely go nuts for them, but they're like something I would never have served like even five years ago, probably like from a bit of an ego point of view. You mentioned sort of this process that you have and the the sort of approach you have with the different menus. Um, it, it means that you're exploring different cuisines, but you don't sort of necessarily get signature dishes or dishes that you hold on to. Have you ever sort of explored a world menu where you sort of have the best of over the last sort of 19 menus? It's such, it's such a good question because it, run, it runs like there's a So we have a lot of FOMO at our restaurant. So we have a lot of people who have like they've missed one or two menus and they're always like oh, i'm so annoyed i missed a, you know this menu or this menu or whatever it is so like it's you know, the amount of questions we get asked like when are we doing your best of it's like yeah no it's definitely got to be done like and there'd be some like yeah there'd be some dishes that easily make the cut like yeah we did this like recently we did a um it was a duck ahiyako so that's a um it's a colombian soup and basically um, part of the colombian menu so we did this like beautiful like duck riette um then it was served with like sour cream and avocado and then you pour over this corn broth and it's got this um guaracas which is this um, native colombian herb and it is just like all the colombians that came in were like like almost like in tears because like no one uses that particular herb well when i say no one uses not many places use it and um they just love like that one flavor to them was like this is something i would like have at home and, like, they're the sort of dishes that, like, I'd love to bring back. Like, that was a sad one to say goodbye to because people really enjoyed that. <laughs> Australia's culinary landscape is built off of migration and it's enriched by cuisines of the world and different different cultures. Do you think that your concept works because it's in Australia or do you think it's something that could work sort of anywhere? Um, I think, look, I think it definitely does work better in Australia than most places. Like from obviously ingredient sourcing point of view, like Australia has, you know, completely different, you know, like basically around Australia you can have all four seasons in, at one time. Um, and, yeah, I think as well like people here are like receptive to like trying things and I think, you know, because Australia doesn't necessarily have like an Australian cuisine, I feel like that um, something a little bit experimental like what we're doing and as long as it's done in good taste I think works really well like we never want to try and like take anything away from like the cuisines that we're cooking or try and say that you know like anything we're doing is necessarily authentic we're just having some fun with what we want to do but um yeah I think like here it would work really well and like there's maybe a couple of places overseas I could see like say like America or something like this could work say in the states they love a strong concept like i think that's what really makes the businesses over there stand apart but um but yeah i think like here is great and i think that you know hopefully like what we're doing you know lets people get a bit more creative with what they want to what they want to make 
How far ahead do you plan? You mentioned the Greek menu, but are you planning sort of the next sort of four menus after that, or how do you how do you look at things? So that that would definitely make sense, and <laughs> that's what that's what we should be doing. But um, but you know, I think. We, we definitely like one or two ahead. Like I think we're going to do Greece and we want to do Moroccan um, over summer. Like it's as we change it like seasonally, like it's just really choosing like places that are going to work. And I think that, um, you know, and like you just got to like one of the things, you know, at the moment, like a lot of restaurants have, um, you know, slowed down a bit due to like, you know, what's going on, you know, just globally, I think, like economically. So, you know, the last menu we chose was Spain, which is um, which finishes um, later this week. And basically, that was like a really good choice during winter because Spanish cuisine is really not a hard sell. Where like I think when, you know, say over summer, where you know you're just going to be absolutely run off your feet, you could definitely choose something a little bit more like left of centre. Yeah, so there is definitely something to be said about choosing wisely. Like, you know, in Australia, like everyone loves European cuisine. So I think that's they're really they're really strong choices where like, say Asian cuisines, I feel like um, they're so well represented here. Like there's, I reckon the Asian food in Australia is as good, if not better than a lot of <laughs> a lot of the Asian food I've eaten in Asia, which is a huge call to make. But, um, you know, I just think Australia does Asian food so, so well. So that's probably not one I would choose like um, over winter just because, you know, like there's just serious competition. With, with, with such a unique approach to the offering that you have there, how do you describe your cooking? Oh, <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good one. Um, no, I think like, yeah, my cooking is basically, it's very like, it's very like in our own style. So like, you know, although we're always like taking so much inspiration and ideas from like different cuisines, like at Atlas, like there's certainly things that you can sort of always expect. Like I know our diners would like, there's certain things that they know that we that we do or we love, like we love to do. So, um, but yeah, like I think that our food, like I said earlier, definitely getting more and more simple and just like, yeah, really focused on like, yeah, flavor and execution more than anything. And I feel like one thing that we do have is like definitely a little bit of a style, like in our presentation. So we, um, yeah, we've, we're pretty big on that. Like, a, I love that, like, our food does look slightly unique. Well, you're doing um, some amazing things there in Melbourne. Um, what do you love about what you do? Um, I lo- What I love about what I do is obviously it has enabled me to, like, be able to, like, sort of travel the world, um, you know, run a great business, but also, you know, have a lot of fun doing what I'm doing. Like, I think that's really the key for me was always, like, how do you keep that, you know, the idea of like traveling forever going, but also being realistic that you, you know, real life is also a thing. <laughs> and um, yeah, like, you know, that's, it's enabled me to be able to sort of like live that passion, I think, of like, of travel and experience. Like, I've been to about 50 countries now. Um, yeah, like, I think this year, this year alone, I've been overseas like four or five times. So, like, yeah, it's pretty, um, you know, I get to live an amazing lifestyle from it. And I think that's why. You know, I'm really prepared to work very, very hard because you do get to, like, the perks are crazy. Well, Charlie, it was an absolute joy catching up with you today to hear just a part of your story. Look forward to seeing the menus that um, come from here. Um, Please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Hark, for having me on the show. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. 
Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au and be well.